one of the telltale signs that there is a godly connection between a man of God and a congregation <coughs> is that when you're there, you think of 15 things. If I come back here, I want to preach. This people deserves this. They, and you start thinking of all these things. Well, that's happened, <coughs> as Pastor said, a bunch of times. These folks have been so kind to me. You folks have been so kind to me. <coughs> I am thankful for your pastor and his wife. Thankful for God using them. I love this congregation. I <coughs> listened to this praise and worship tonight, and I thought, uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good place to start. And then I look, and I see the organization, and all run around with these lanyards on, bunch of you. But my, my son-in-law, David, is always looking for ideas. He makes me tired. He's always looking for ideas, and I thought today I need to stop and take a picture of one of them lanyards, and then it kind of tapped me in the cranial cavity and said, Dear God, they'll think you're a stalker. I uh, appreciate my beautiful wife. Y'all love my wife. Even with that possessed eyebrow, you'd love her. She, I, I married me a pretty woman. And uh, she had her birthday yesterday while I was here. And uh, I miss a lot of birthdays. I miss a lot of anniversaries, different things because of my schedule. But I appreciate them being what they are. In 43 years of marriage, my wife has never said, Honey, I don't want you to go. Why don't you stay here? Never. Now, that's, that's an indicator, Bubba, of one of two things. Either she loves the kingdom of God or the other one. <laughs> anyway, God's good to us. Maybe someday, Pastor, let me come back. We'll find a place to put it in our schedule. I do love Brother and Sister Balgi. I love their passion. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you. I think I love them even more after being here. Pray for them every day. Pray for you every day. And I think I love them even more after being here because I see their burden in action. I hear him talk about what a great people you are. I hear them refer to the things that God's doing, the things they want to see God do. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. He took me to an Amish restaurant last night. Ooh, Jesus loves Amish restaurants. And then him and his wife left there and gave me his truck, told me to drive home. I don't know what happened. But it gave me some kind of crazy directions. I was turning off on dirt roads. And it's saying, go a thousand feet and turn left. I get a thousand feet and it's a dead end. And there's one road that goes to the left. So I take it. It took me almost an hour to get home last night. They, they. They put forth the effort, though, in other ways. Y'all put a nice basket in my room. Beautiful basket. Water and snacks. My favorite kind of cookies was in the basket. Big old honking chocolate candy bar was in the basket. And I haven't had sugar in a year and a half. I could snort the icing off your birthday cake today. And 
every time I walk in that room, sit down, try to study. That candy bar is going, ooh. Y'all are great people. You think maybe we ought to preach a little bit tonight? I feel a prophetic touch that's driven me today to several of you. In fact, I've leaned over to your pastor and asked about a couple of you. There is a tremendous touch. There's some of you in here. You don't know it. But there is a tremendous touch of God's destiny on your world, and you need to surrender yourself to God completely so that God can do through you what God wants to do in your world. Some of you have a touch from God you don't even know that you possess. You're hard on yourself. I understand that. But at some juncture, you've got to give yourself completely to the cause. Why don't you lift your hands up right now and ask God to help you give yourself completely to the cause of God. In Jesus' name. If you got your Bible, stand. Open your Bible to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. There are certain books in the Bible where God becomes very colorful in his displeasure. Jude is one of those books. I'm going to read to you from the book of Jude, verse number 6. It says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah. The cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Brother Boggy talked about fingerprints fingerprints of my life. Can I tell you a secret? I don't like Doug White. I don't like nothing about me. Can't stand to hear me preach. You let me listen to myself preach and I'll remember words that sanctification took out of my vocabulary. I'm not a fan of Doug White, but I can tell you without any doubt, I am driven. I'm driven to do what I do. I'm not bragging in any fashion, but I can tell you that I've been in full-time ministry 43 years, and I've always pushed just like I push today. My ministry has taken me to every single state but one, and that's Hawaii. I've preached in 17 different countries. Somewhere between 5,800 and 6,000 times I've stood in pulpits and preached to precious people. I pastor two churches while I'm standing in a church on a Sunday in Indiana. 35 years of my life I've handed to a beautiful congregation in the city of Sealsby, Texas. I'm driven. I'm driven. I'm driven. In the last few years, I've preached more than I ever have, 306 times last year, as he said. The last few years, I've written six books. I have two more in process right now that I'm trying to finish. The last three, four years, I've flown almost a half million miles. 
I have gone in depth to study. I love Jewish culture. I've studied the Torah in depth for the last six years. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that to tell you that I'm driven. I'm driven. I stand in this pulpit today and tremble with a burden because I'm driven. I do feel the presence of God so strongly in this place. My message for this congregation is going to reveal to you why my life is so driven. I'm preaching to you about the inevitability of eternity. The inevitability of eternity. It is inevitable. Young man, it's inevitable. You can't stop it. Visitors, I don't have words that could stop eternity. I'm going to tell you what drives me. It's the inevitability of eternity. God bless you. Lift your hands up and pray for God to speak to your heart. bless you. You may be seated. Science, thank you, sir. Science has determined that there are few things in this life that set your existence apart from everybody else. Within your body, every cell of your body, is a thing called deoxyribonucleic acid, DNA. It is distinct to you and to you alone. They say that your fingerprints are individualized to nobody else in the entire world but you. My son-in-law and daughter are big into recording and singing and and for that reason I hear a lot about uh, voices and they say that now given the right instrumentation that your voice is just as distinctive as your fingerprints are they can read the patterns of your voice and it is individualized to you and to you alone. However, I've got to confess that to me, just as amazing as those things that set us apart are those things that every human alive has in common. For instance, everybody to live has to breathe. Whether it is breathing on your own strength or being connected to a breathing machine, without breath, you cease to exist. Everybody that's going to survive this thing called time for any amount of time, you have to have a beating heart. Again, whether that heart beats on its own or you're connected to something beating your heart for you, without that heart pumping, without that heart sending blood saturated with oxygen into the different arteries and vessels and, and veins of your body, you're going to die. To exist, you've got to have a beating heart. 
But there is today one other thing that every person alive has in common. Because everybody, according to Scripture, has a soul that can and will continue to live after life on this terra firma has ceased. And while the list of things that group us together may be larger than the group of things that individualize us, you better never forget that the premier thing that every individual in this building, every individual in the city of Goshen, every individual in the state of Indiana, every individual in the country that we live in, every individual in the entire world has in common is that all of us are running towards eternity. It's not a matter of if you want to. It's not a matter of your choice. It's not a matter of some desire in your heart. All of us are running to eternity. It is inevitable. I could go from the oldest person that's alive on this earth today and I could put them beside that newborn baby that just took his first breath and I can tell you the one thing that they both absolutely have in common is that every person alive today is going towards eternity. You need to know that eternity is not gender specific male and female are going to eternity eternity is not age restrictive the young and the old are going to eternity eternity is not racially segregated all people from every culture is going to go into eternity eternity is not intellectually selective the ignorant and the brilliant are going towards eternity it is inevitable. All of them, whether they know it or not, are headed towards eternity. No, I understand. In this town, I notice you've got a lot of schools and colleges, and you may think you have it all together and know where you're going in life, but you need to be aware of this one vital fact. Regardless of your present journey, your ultimate destination nation is a never-ending realm called eternity. That baby kicking in its mother's belly is kicking its way towards eternity. That elder riding in an ambulance is riding towards eternity. That middle-aged man driving to work is driving towards eternity. That young mother taxing her kids to school is taxiing her way to eternity. That toddler rolling in his stroller is rolling towards eternity. That preteen pedaling their bicycle to a friend's house is pedaling towards eternity. That teenager roaring down the highway in his first vehicle is roaring towards eternity. That rover single adult looking for love is roving toward eternity. Are you listening to me now? Every single one of us need to realize that you are on your way to eternity. It is inevitable. There's nothing you can say to stop it. Your doubt's not going to make it go away. Your refusal to believe is not going to make it real. It is inevitable to understand the impact of that. You need to know that the biblical word for eternity is simply spelled A-D and it's pronounced odd. Odd simply means perpetuity. It means to continue to exist beyond this present life. It means a place beyond time and without end. 
Realize with me that just as surely as God's word is forever settled, it not only tells us that eternity is real, but it tells us 45 times that eternity is inevitable. We read in your Bible of an eternal God. We read about God's eternal excellency, eternal life, eternal damnation, eternal judgment, eternal power, God's eternal Godhead, an eternal weight of glory. Are you listening to me now? It talks about the eternal salvation of obedience, eternal redemption, eternal spirit, the promise of an eternal inheritance. It tells us about eternal glory. It tells us about eternal heavens. And horrifically, it tells us about eternal fire. It is inevitable. Someday, you're going to go screaming into eternity. It's not going to be when you want to go because nobody wants to make that journey. But I tell you before the Almighty today, if I believe God's Word, and I believe God's Word, understand with me that eternity is inevitable. You are nine minutes and 15 seconds closer to eternity right now than when I first started this message. You will go screaming into eternity. What will be the cause that catapults you into eternity? I don't know. Who knows? But we do know you're going to eternity. It is inevitable. It may be a car accident. It may be a dreaded disease. It may be a drug overdose. But eternity is inevitable. It may be a drunk driver. It could be a murder. It could be a heart attack. But eternity is inevitable. It may be a natural disaster. It may be a freak accident. It may be a stillbirth, but eternity is inevitable. It may be old age. It may be an aneurysm that nobody saw coming. It may be somebody choking to death that everybody saw. But I tell you, eternity is inevitable. You better settle it in your heart today. It is inevitable someday death is going to usher you into eternity before you step into eternity you need to know a few things that's going to be awaiting you and I in eternity ain't it funny we don't preach like this anymore when's the last time you heard a message like this I'm going to tell you before you step into eternity you need to be aware of what's going to be awaiting you there for example, let me tell you what we absolutely know about eternity. First of all, we know that eternity only has two options. You're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. There is no such thing as a purgatory. There is no almost heaven. There is no new earth for those that don't want to accept this. Hear me today, there's no third choice for those that don't want to accept God's plan. There are no other selections on the eternal menu for those that don't find heaven or hell palatable. Uh, there are two options, heaven uh, and hell. Uh, are you listening to me now? The second thing that we know is that which of these two options you end up in, whichever one it is uh, that you're going to spend eternity in, is going to be decided by the decisions you make while you sit with breath in your body like you do today. Don't you ever let anybody lie to you. If they tell you once saved, always saved, somebody lied to you. If they tell you you can't lose your salvation, somebody lied to you. If 
they tell you you can be saved a hundred different ways. Uh, somebody's lying to you. Uh, your eternal salvation is either your eternal destination is going to be decided solely by whether or not there's an active obedience to God's word. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, your salvation or your damnation is going to be a product uh, of whether you were obedient to the word of God. The word of God will determine your eternal heaven. Uh, and the word of God will determine your eternal hell. third thing we know about eternity is that eternity has no ending. Once you step into heaven, you can never be lost. But once you step into hell, you can never find redemption. It's just that simple. Any changes in your eternal destination has to be determined here. It has to be determined now. It has to be determined in this realm that we call time. I told somebody yesterday, the Bible says, as a tree falls, so shall it lie. It's talking about death. Understand that once you close your eyes and your heart is beat for its last time and your lungs have sucked in oxygen for the last time, there will be no more changing your destination. There will be no more altering your direction. There will be no more correcting your course if you don't fix it now if you don't fix it here if you don't fix it in this realm of time you'll live with that choice for the rest of eternity that's what I do know about eternity oh that our souls would wake up to the inevitability of eternity what should drive a church? What should, well, we got to be driven by good music. That's not what should drive us. That should help us enter into his presence. But that's not what should drive us. What should drive us? Well, it drives me to preach another sermon. Thank God for preachers, but that's not the thing that's supposed to drive the church. I'm going to tell you what ought to drive God's church. Every day you open up your eyes, you realize, I've got to reach somebody or they're going to be lost. i got to make a difference in somebody and somebody. Some land or they're going to be lost. Uh, I wish somebody was listening to me right now. Oh, that our souls would wake up to the inevitability of eternity. Since I told you what I do know about eternity, let me tell you what we don't know about eternity. This list to me is absolutely horrifying. I don't know how in eternity that in hell the worm dieth not. I, I, I don't know how worms can live in the infernal flames of hell and crawl through your skin. How can, I don't understand it, but five times the Bible said that it's a place, the lake of fire is a place where the worm dieth not. I don't know how in eternity hell becomes a bottomless pit that allows you to tumble hopelessly for eternity as the gaseous billows of heat toss your body forever. How does hell become a bottomless pit? I don't know, but seven times the word of God said that hell will be a bottomless pit. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how in eternity my feeble mind would ever comprehend the ability to rest in those flames and look and through the windows of heaven and see those that were saved and living in paradise and know that I was so careless with my soul that I sent my soul to hell. Yet the Bible said that the rich man in hell lift up his eyes and he sees appear afar off in paradise. Let me tell you what else I don't know about eternity. If I fool around and lose out with God, I don't know how many people in eternity are going to be lost there in that place because of my own spiritual condition. 
You were supposed to be a witness, but you weren't. You were supposed to be holy, but you were a hypocrite. You were supposed to be spiritual, but you were slipping around in sin. You were supposed to be just, but you justified your iniquity. You were supposed to be a witness, but you weren't a witness. You were supposed to have integrity, but you had immorality. You were supposed to be leading your family, but you lured them to have a lesser commitment. You were supposed to have character, but you are hiding corruption. And when you step into eternity and all of your excuses are removed, how are you going to handle knowing that you're the reason that they're in hell? I don't know. It haunts me. It torments me to think that my son, my daughter, my spouse is going to go to hell because I led them there. Oh, the inevitability of eternity. Your friend, your co-worker, your relative, you were supposed to be a Christian and they followed your example and you led them to a godless eternity. How could you handle that? All those church children that wanted to be like you when they grew up. All those bystanders that had been watching your life. All those business owners that heard you were trying to live for God. You left the footprints that they followed. And in eternity, I just don't know how I could handle seeing the tormented faces of those people being cast into a lake of fire because my hypocrisy helped them get there. My attitudes attracted them to that lost condition. My influence was the inspiration for their godless eternity. Oh, oh the inevitability. And it's coming. And if I had the words to stop it, I'd say the words. But the fact is, I don't have one abracadabra. I don't have one word that can stop eternity. And right now, you are 19 minutes and 46 seconds closer to eternity than you were when I started preaching. Let me tell you one other thing I don't know about eternity. I don't know of one solitary escape from its clutches. There's not one thing that you can do today to escape eternity in heaven or hell. There's not one thing you'll be able to do when you get there to break free from eternity. After you've been there 10,000 years, there's not one thing that you can do to help you escape eternity, but it's coming and it's getting closer and it is inevitable to see the full impact of what I'm saying. Five times God said the worm dieth not. Seven times God said it's a bottomless pit, but not one time does scripture give us one hint of an escape route out of eternity. Oh, the inevitability of eternity. You really understand that? You really realize how serious eternity is? I don't care if you sit there and say it's not real. You're going to have to deal with it. I don't care if you say, well, I just refuse to believe it. Your refusal to believe it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. You've got to realize how serious eternity is. You can't escape it. You can't outrun it. You can't bypass it. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't avoid it. You can't boycott it. You can't ignore it. I'm talking about the inevitability of eternity. And you are going to eternity. I am going to eternity. Your children are going to eternity. Your spouse is going to eternity. Your friends are going to eternity. Eternity's coming. Eternity's getting closer. It is inevitable. <laughs> it's been said. You can't take it with you when you go. But I've come to refute that by Scripture. To some worldly things, I suspect that's true. You'll never be able to take Mama's antiques. You'll never be able to take Daddy's pocket knife. But let me tell you, there are some things that you can and some things you can't take into eternity. 
Maybe I need to remind you today that the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 5 and verse number 24, some men's sins are open beforehand through repentance and it goes before judgment, meaning that God wipes that slate clean before you get there. But then it goes on to say in some men, their sins are going to follow after them. That simply means you can repent of your sins today and be baptized in Jesus' name and send it on to the judgment and God can forgive you today and separate you from your sins as far as the east is from the west or you can hold on to your sin and you'll have to deal with it every second of eternity. Let me tell you what you will have in eternity, okay? If I read scripture correctly, and I think I do, you'll have every sinful craving you refuse to conquer here. If you won't conquer that habit here, you'll get the shakes, the withdrawals. You'll get the tremors there. It's, a, it's inevitable. I suspect you'll have the inevitable, the inescapable remnants of sin. In eternity, whatever you think it is that sent you to hell, you're immediately going to try to get rid of it. If you think it's something you've got on your flesh, you're going to try to tear it away. If you think it's something you've had in your ears, gossip or some kind of profanity, you're going to try to tear your ears away. Listen to me for eternity. You'll try to do whatever you have to do so God can see your sincerity. For eternity, you'll try to peel off all those questionable clothes from your body, begging God to forgive you, but it'll be useless. For eternity, you'll beat your head on brimstone walls, trying to erase those pornographic pictures in your mind, praying that God will see your sincerity. But it won't work because any changes had to be made here. Come on now, it's inevitable. You will stand in eternity. It may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be next year. Who knows, it may be in the next few minutes. I've come to preach to you today about the inevitability of eternity. It drives me. I can't get away from it. I can't forget it, son. I can't, why I can't, I can't get it out of my spirit. You need to understand you are going into eternity. You cannot escape eternity. Heaven or hell is going to be determined on your obedience to God's word, but eternity has no option. You will go into eternity. You can't outrun eternity. But let me ask you a question just in case your journey into eternity happens today. There are some questions you better be asking yourself. Questions like, if I see God today, what is there that I wish was different? Once upon a time, I had a young lady who was not raised in the church. She came into the church. We taught her truth. She came in. Her whole family was of a charismatic persuasion. And, and, and she gets in the church and falls in love with one of my prime young men. And, 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 and they built their relationship. And everything looked like it was going to be all right to the point that they decided they were going to get married. And, and that's exactly what they did. We had the, the wedding. We did everything we were supposed to do. But remember, while his family was all in church, her family had not been in church. And while we thought that we had convinced her of what you're supposed to be as a child of God, after their wedding, her family gave her some things that people that are close to God are not going to put on their body. They're not going to put. They're not going to wear that kind of an adornment. They know that the word of God's against it, but they gave it to her. So the next day, on their honeymoon, they're going to fly overseas. And he said he was shocked when they started to step out the door. She stopped and she put on all. He said we had preached against. And he asked her, what are you doing? And she said, we're going to a foreign country. Nobody knows us there. 
We can do whatever we want to do and nobody will know the difference. And he said he tried to reason with her, but there was no reasoning, Sister Boggy. And they get on this plane and they start crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And as they're crossing the Atlantic Ocean to go to a foreign country for their honeymoon, they get up above the clouds and as they start to clear the clouds, all of a sudden, about 35,000 feet in the air, they hit turbulence. The turbulence was so bad that it slammed that airplane down thousands of feet. It was such an expansive thing. The pressure was so effective that the overhead bins blew open. The plane pitched sideways. All the stuff in the overhead bins began to fall out on them. The lady trying to give them soft drinks was standing at the end of their pew, uh, their, their, their row of seats, and all of a sudden the drink cart goes flying one way, and the stewardess is sitting in their laps telling everybody, get your seatbelts on. And they had to pick a hole of a sudden. He said his wife jumped up and she immediately began to rip those things off her body. She wasn't trying to be careful. He said, what are you doing? And she said, if I'm going to see God, I don't want this on me. It's not a matter of what somebody knows. You're going to eternity. Lift your hands up and pray with me right now. Would you do that? I've got breaking news for some of you in this building today. On a spiritual level, your plane is plummeting down. And you better ask yourself some serious questions about what you want God to see when you stand before him. Come on now. Do you really want Jesus to see you dressed immodestly? Do you really want God to see you with alcohol on your breath? Do you really want God to ask you about those ungodly texts that you've got on your telephone? Do you really want God to ask you about those drugs you've got hidden in your nightstand? Are you sure will you want to see God with those hidden sins you think nobody knows about? He is God. He is omniscient. He knows everything. Oh, the inevitability. And I can't stop it. I can preach my guts out, but I can't stop it. I can tell you that you're going to heaven or hell, but I can't stop you from going to either one. You better get ready. Some of those things are going to follow you into judgment, and you're going to have to stand before God and try to make excuses there. That's not all. There's some other things you're going to possess in eternity that may come as a surprise to you. You realize you'll have the ability to talk in tongues in heaven in, in, in eternity? <laughs> Think about it. If you can talk in tongues here with no real spiritual connection, you'll try to fool God there too. Every hypocrite that hits the flames of hell, every backslider that hits the flames of hell are going to fake tongues to try to make somebody think they, 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 they made a mistake. You'll have backslidden preachers trying to preach in eternity. They'll do it in the hope that if I can feel one tingle of what I used to feel, that maybe God will change his mind. Can I tell you what else you'll have in eternity? You'll have a passionate prayer life in eternity. Ten seconds after you take your last breath, you're going to have the prayer life that your pastor's been preaching to you for years. You'll have a prayer life that they've tried for years to get you to possess. You're going to pray in above the crackling flames. Uh, those eternally damned souls are going to hear the passion in your voice. And they're going to recognize it because their damned soul is going to be praying with the same kind of passion. Yeah, you're going to have a prayer life in eternity. Let me tell you what you'll have in eternity. You'll have a genuine repentance when you get to eternity. 
when you feel the flames of hell, you're going to repent over your sins for a thousand years, only to realize you'll never escape, so you'll start repenting again. You're going to have staggering guilt in eternity. Every time you see the face of that individual bouncing savagely through the brimstone walls of hell, whose sin you knew about, but you didn't go talk to your man of God, you're going to feel a staggering guilt knowing, if I had only intervened, maybe they wouldn't be in hell. If I'd only tried to, let me tell you what else you'll have. You'll have the constant painful reminders that your soul is lost. Fire that's not quenched. Screams that never cease. Gnashing teeth that would rather tear away your skin than feel the flames. Constant tumbling in darkness. The perpetual horrors of catching glimpses of others who are burning and never burning up. Are you ready? Do you think you can handle it, Goshen? How tough are you going to be then? Can you hear the tires yet? Can you hear the gunshot yet? Can you hear the ambulance yet? Can you hear your mama scream yet? Oh. Oh! The inevitability of heaven. Get ready, it's coming. You can't escape it. You're 33 minutes and 50 seconds closer to eternity right now than you were when I started. And when you suck your last breath and you see God sitting on the judgment throne, you'd give every possession in your ability to have those 50, those 34 uh, minutes back. You'd give everything in your power. If you had just a little more time to get right, you cannot escape it. The inevitability of eternity. Last year, I'm sorry, two years ago, I was preaching a camp meeting in a particular district in the southern part of the United States. I'd preached everything, son, that God had told me to preach. I'd done everything that God told me to do. And on this last night of camp meeting, God allowed me to preach faith, allowed me to preach overcoming. When I did, since they took the service from me, they got to dancing. They got to shouting. They got to running the aisles, talking in tongues. I was so happy for two reasons. Number one, I thought, yep, I'm not going to get to finish this sermon. I get to sit down and rest for a minute. The other reason I was happy is because some of them were getting a breakthrough. And I picked up my iPad. People filling up the altars. People worshiping. Pick up my iPad and I start over here to the chairs where all the preachers were so I could put my stuff down. And all of a sudden God said, stop! And I stopped about halfway between the pulpit and the chairs. When I did, God gave me a vision. And in this vision, it was like I was in an airplane or something and I could look down and I could see a big black car, big old black sedan flying down a country road and I seen them coming up to an intersection. They didn't have any stop sign. I could see plainly there was no stop sign that these kids were running, these, these people rather, were running towards. And, and then I looked the other way and it was out where there's a bunch of oil fields and, and I could see a big tanker truck coming on the other road in that intersection and I could see that he had a stop sign and God said watch watch and while I was watching I saw them try to cross the black sedan try to cross the intersection they had the right of way but that tanker truck blasted through the stop sign like it didn't see them rolled them up threw them from the car and the thing exploded with all the gasoline in it and incinerated them. And I'm standing here while people are shouting and dancing. And I said, okay, God, what's this all about? God said, you go back to the pulpit. Stop them from dancing. Stop them from shouting. 
and you tell them what's coming. Tell them what you've seen. <laughs> Bubba, it was against everything I would ever do. And I walked back to the pulpit and I stopped him and I said, I don't know who it is, but I see a black sedan. I see you driving down a country road. I see you coming up to an intersection. You don't have the stoplight, but there's a tanker truck coming the other way that has a stop sign. And he's not going to stop, and he's going to broadside your vehicle, and he's going to snatch both of you out into eternity. I said, if I was you, I'd get up and I'd make my way to this altar. The altar's filled up. People begin to pray. People begin to touch God. Little did I know there was two young adults sitting, two men sitting on the back who was standing back there making fun of that fat preacher, making fun of, oh, great, now he's going to try to send us all to hell. It was less than one week later I get a call from the superintendent that said, Brother White, I just thought you should know they were driving down a country road. They were in a black sedan. They didn't have a stop sign, a tanker truck. It killed both of them. I don't rejoice in that, ma'am. But it scares me to death to know that eternity's coming. I preach a lot of meetings, Brother Boggy. Three years ago, I think, I had five camps that summer. All five camps. I get done preaching. I try to make a difference in their world. All five of those meetings lasted for a week. I did everything in my power to make a difference. All I don't want it on my resume. I don't want the world to know. Nobody wants this on your, your list of accomplishments. But all five camps, whether it be electrocution or drowning or, or car wrecks, all five camps. Somebody that sat there all week and listened to me preach died in a horrific accident. Brother White, does that make you feel good? It breaks my heart because I preached everything. I, I don't play around when I preach. I try to make a difference. I try to help somebody. But let me tell you what it did do. It, knew, it reminded me the word of God's true that says that life is but a vapor. It's there for a season, then it's going to wither away. I want you to understand. The Bible said it is appointed man once to die. And then the judgment. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Someday you're going to die. Someday your loved ones are going to die. I preached a funeral of one of my loved ones in Holland, Michigan. On the way here. The reality of life is you can't wish eternity away. You can't pray eternity away. You can't hope eternity away. You can't deny eternity away. You can't debate eternity away. You can't reason eternity away. You can't desire eternity away. You can't request eternity away. You can't challenge eternity away. You can't decree eternity away. You can't cast eternity away. Get ready, it's coming. You can't escape it. Oh, the inevitability! Eternity. And you're 41 minutes and 21 seconds closer to eternity right now than when I started this. And I haven't shut the door to eternity yet. I haven't made eternity turn its back and flee from us yet. It's coming. It is inevitable. God, I feel a burden in this house right now. Throw your hands back up in the air again and touch him. It should drive you. It should drive you. It should drive you. My loved ones are lost. Hey, Goshen, 
I love your congregation. I love the beautiful faces sitting here today. But this place ought to be ten times this big. You've got loved ones that are going to be lost if you don't reach them. Brother Wild, I'm an atheist. God don't care what you call yourself. You'll believe in him one minute after you suck your last breath. Let me tell you what you won't have in eternity. You won't have a person like Doug White standing here pleading with somebody to make a difference. You won't have a Pastor Boggy. But that's okay since some of you resent a preacher's voice anyway. You say it's intruding. You say that's old-fashioned. You call it the old ways. You say it's none of his business. You say what he don't know can't hurt him, but it does hurt him because it has to watch your world be devastated, try to pick up the pieces, and then see you go. Let me tell you what else you won't have in eternity. You will not have one solitary hope of salvation to pull you from that eternal place. Any hope of salvation for any soul living or dead is done when you take your last breath. Well, brother, why the loving God won't send me to hell? You're right. God's a God of love. He'll never send me to hell. He's a loving Savior. You're exactly right. You are, he is a loving Savior right now with his hands stretched out, with his heart reaching for you. But one second after your last breath, one second after your last heartbeat, he will not be a loving Savior. He'll be a righteous judge that's going to judge you by your life. Tell you what else, some of you ain't going to have in eternity. You're not going to have it. That's right. You better let God shake you, son. Let me tell you what else you're going to have in eternity. You're not, going, you're, you're not going to have any cell phones to preoccupy your mind so you can act like you're not hearing the preacher preach. You can't make it one service without checking it dozens of times. In eternity, you won't be able to lust after that unsaved romantic interest that you refused to get away from when your pastor begged you to get closer to God. And if you do see that person you lusted after, their hair will be burned off. Their skin's going to be melting and their screams are going to kill. Any desire you ever have had to touch their body and that's not all in eternity there will not be one drop of God's mercy left none mercy ends the second you take your last breath mercy ends when your last heartbeat happens Mercy ends when God finally says enough's enough. And I suspect in this building today, God's probably looking at some of you and has sent me to preach a message like this. When I'd rather preach you up. When I'd rather preach joy. When I'd rather preach overcoming. When I'd rather preach the power of God. God sent me because he sees time is almost up for some of you. When is God going to look at your life and say enough's enough? Will it be after the next altar call you pass by without responding? Will it be the next time you try to justify your sin saying God understands will it be before you leave this building right now ignoring the pleas of this preacher will it happen when you finally break the heart of God at some point God will say it God will speak and the heavens will hear enough's enough then your eternity will begin and your mercy will stop it is inevitable eternity is inevitable. If that's not enough, you need to realize once you hit that place, that's right, man, pray. Once you hit that place, you won't have anointed preaching to bring you back. You won't have anointed worship to set the stage. You won't have anointed fellowship to remind you that God's given you another family. You won't have anointed services that facilitate the tug of God on your, with all of that. All right, Brother White, then what's going to be left? Oh, that's easy. The anointing may be gone, but you'll have the memories of every sermon that man preached to you. There'll be no anointing to drag you back to the altar, but you'll remember every message Doug White preached to this church. That's what you're going to have left. Your man of God's going to be ripped away from you, but you're going to hear every altar call a million times throughout eternity. 
You're going to remember every time they told you you were going to hell, but you laughed it off and you went through the motions and you repented of things that you never intended to quit doing. And just seconds after time ends, you'll never laugh it off again. You'll never hide behind empty motions again. You'll never press through the warning. His mercy will be gone. But you'll be in eternity. And heaven and hell is going to be there waiting on you. I'm sure in time you intended to fix it, but now you're in eternity. In time you could have made it right, but now you're in eternity. In time you could have really repented instead of just went through the motions over things you never intended to quit doing, but, but now you're in eternity. Is there enough of God left in this place for you to hear me today? You hope what I'm preaching isn't true, but it is. Eternity is inevitable. You hope that this eternal fire stuff is just an old wives' tale, but it isn't. Eternity is inevitable. You hope Scripture contradicts itself about heaven and hell and leaves you some kind of loophole, but it doesn't. Eternity is inevitable. Indiana. Let me talk about Indiana, shall I? Years ago, I was preaching a revival uh, about the middle of Indiana, I guess, is probably where it would be. We were having a move of God. It wasn't a very big church. We were sitting there. I, I, my heart went out. I wanted to help them. I wanted to. And we'd already had a couple incredible services. And I knew God was going to move that night, too. And all of a sudden, church is getting ready to start. I was walking in in the foyer and some man grabbed me and said, I need the pastor. I said, I'm not him. And I went and got the pastor. And so while the pastor was talking to this man, he, he, he acted a little bit shaken. And while the pastor was talking to him, I took my stuff, my briefcase and all my stuff. And I went in and I set it on the front row and I seen the pastor in the foyer. I seen him lay his head down and begin to shake his head. I watched him begin to wipe the tears. I thought, what in the world? And he looked at me and he starts motioning for me to come to him. I, I didn't understand. I didn't know the man. Why would, what, what, what would I have to do with all of that? So I walked in there and he said, Brother White, I need you to do something for me. I said, what is it? He said, I need you to leave and go to the hospital. I'll preach tonight if you'll go to the hospital. I said, buddy, that don't make any sense. You didn't call me here to go to a hospital. You called me here to preach. And He said, let me tell you a story. And it told me of a day when an entire family was in his church. There was a daddy as one of his key men. His children played all the instruments in the church. And he said, there came a day because daddy had a little money. He had a little jingle in his pocket, a little jack in his hands. And he wanted to go do certain things that the church and the scripture stood against. And the pastor said, I'm sorry, you can't do that. I can't let you do that and get on my platform. I'm sorry, I can't do that. <coughs> the man decided he's going to wait him out. <coughs> so he started holding his ties and started talking to all the other saints, giving them a hard time. Finally, when he saw the pastor wasn't going to quit, pastor wasn't going to back down, he decided he was going to leave that church. And he told all of his kids that pastors treated me terrible pastor's done me wrong and he went out into the world backslid lived like the devil the rest of his days his children all followed in his suit they all went after him every one of them but the problem was because what daddy had told them they absolutely despised that precious old pastor he was a precious man and he said if I go in there they're going to kill me they've threatened to kill me if I go in but they don't know you and they don't hate you and maybe you can go in and pray for him. I got directions. I walked into the hospital. When I walked into the hospital, I stood at the information desk to get information where this man's room was. And all of a sudden, he told me where he was. I could hear blood-curdling screams saying, No! 
took off running down the, the hallway and I got to the room where he was at in the final stages of life. When I run in that bedroom, there stood them big old burly boys. I ain't never been scared of much, but I didn't know what to expect in this one. And I rounded that corner, and they said, who are you? I said, I'm a preacher. I could hear your daddy screaming, and I listened to that daddy saying, call pastor. Call pastor. Talking about the man that had just sent me there. Call pastor. I need him to come pray. I, they said, no, daddy. He's the reason you're in this condition. He's the reason you quit going. He said, no, no, no. Kids, I lied. That man never did anything but hold on to the Bible. They said, if he comes in here, we're going to kill him. And there I stand in the midst of all of that, son. Finally, he's screaming. He said, I can feel him. Stop touching me! They're touching me. They've come to get me. I know they're come to get me. And I said, I've got to pray for him. And about the time I went to put my hand on his head, he pulled his feet up in that bed. And he began to scream, Oh, God, I'm on fire! I'm going to before I could put my hand on that man's head he sucked his last breath and life left him and I may forget a lot of things in life I may forget a lot of things brother in this life but I will never forget the look of horror that that man had on his face knowing that I'm lost I'm lost I'm lost. Eternity is inevitable. You're going. You're going. You're going. Whether you like it or not, you're going. I'm going. My brother, you're going. You, Bubba, you're going. It don't mean we like it. But eternity is inevitable. You are 54 minutes and 48 seconds closer to eternity right now than when I first started this message. You'd crawl through glass to have those times back. You'd crawl through glass to be able to pray at an altar once your heart stops. I want you to stand to your feet right now. I adjure you in the name of Jesus. You better remember the inevitability of eternity. Eternity's coming. If I was you, anything that needs to be fixed needs to be fixed at these altars. You don't have a burden for the lost. You need to get up here and remember the inevitability of eternity. You're not right with God yourself. You need to crawl out of your seat. Come stand in the front of this sanctuary. Lift your hands up and let God make a difference in your... It's the inevitability of eternity that drives me. How dry I'll be driven to the day I die because eternity haunts me. Pray. I'm pleading with you to pray. I'm begging you to pray.